We are uh, in a series called The Life You've Always Wanted, and we're springboarding off of this incredible book that uh, was written by John Ortberg a few years back. It's so good, and I want to encourage you, if you haven't yet gotten a copy of this, to get a copy and to read it. Um, There's just a ton of stuff in here that I'm not going to cover on Sundays. There's a lot of stuff I'm going to say that's not in the book. We've got quite a few small groups that are meeting and just working through this whole idea idea of, uh, of the life you've always wanted. And so what the journey for this is, and this is, I think, the fourth message in this series. Um, I don't know when it's going to end, but it'll end. It'll end somewhere. <laughs> <laughs> to enter into the life, the abundant life that Jesus has offered to us, uh, the life we always have wanted I think anybody that's been at this for any season of time uh, realizes that there is a level of intentionality that has to happen for us. And I've been uh, so amazed at at the incredible uh, refreshed revelation of the grace of God that that is being given to the church right now. And I would say I'm a grace man. Uh, without a doubt, love preaching on grace, love the grace of God, love living in the grace of God. And, and I understand this idea that, you know, forgiveness is a gift, right? In other words, it had to be given as a gift because none of us could afford to have paid for it, right? It's way beyond what we could ever get on our own. What Jesus did on the cross pays for all of our sin, and we can be completely forgiven before God. Anybody glad about that? Come on, anybody glad about that? And our salvation is a gift, and heaven is a gift. But once you start walking in this for a little while, you, you, you start to see that there is a part we play so for, for growth, for discipleship, for fullness, and it's, it's, a, it's a cooperative effort with God where we are, there's a part God plays, there's a part we play, and learning the dance of all of that um, is the journey of, of being a believer. And so what we're talking about with the life you've always wanted is literally we're talking about spiritual disciplines. Spiritual disciplines, we got to understand, is not a list of more things to do. Uh, Somehow if you do these things, you're going to earn the approval of God. You're never going to earn anything from God, but you can put up the sail and let the wind of the Holy Spirit carry you with your spiritual disciplines. And I don't even know that spiritual disciplines are so much things to do as they are a different way to see things. Um, It's not our efforts to try to earn some kind of favor from God, but we're understanding that that there's there's positions we gotta get our head in. There's positions we gotta get our heart in. There's There's a way we've gotta view things that allows God to do, allows the Holy Spirit to do all the work he wants to do in our life. And so it's the concept of training versus trying. You were called to, uh, to run a marathon. You probably couldn't do it. Most of us in this room couldn't do it just by trying harder. But if you trained well, you could get ready to do it. 
And it's the idea that we are committed to progress, not to perfection. There's no perfection. Nobody ever gets it perfectly right. We're all flawed. We We all have feet of clay that go all the way up to our armpits, right? And so it's progress over perfection. And so we've been talking about some of these ideas. One, the discipline of rejoicing and thanksgiving. When all the world is throwing negativity at you, when all when when the bulk of your self-talk is negative against yourself, when all the news and all and most of social media sometimes feels like it's throwing negativity at you, to stop and choose rejoicing and choose thanksgiving. And choosing the positive and choosing these are the good things. Forget, the Bible says, forget none of his benefits. That's a choice, and that's a discipline. And I find that it's not any easier in, in the hundred years that I've been preaching. <laughs> I, it, I, and living the Christian life, I've just found that it doesn't get easier. It's like every day, I've got to get a hold of my head. I've got to get a hold of my heart. I've got to get a hold of those stray thoughts. And we talked about this for a while, right? Take them captive to the obedience of Christ. The discipline of rejoicing and thanksgiving and living in that zone. And then last week, we talked about the idea of slowing down enough to create a secret place in your world. To, that you're not going to accomplish uh, what you want to accomplish in life by living in a hurry. You got to trust God at some point. You got to put your life into the hands of God and recognize there has to be places where you stop, pause, and develop secret place. Not just for that, but just to slow your soul down. Today, I want to talk about the discipline of recognizing appropriate smallness, which basically what I want to talk about is embracing humility. Somebody say humility. Humility and how I obtained it. That's what I want to talk about today. No. (laughs) Philippians, let's look at a couple verses. Philippians chapter 2, verse 3, do nothing from selfishness or empty conceit, But with humility, everybody say humility, with humility of mind, regard one another as more important than yourselves. Colossians 3 verse 12 says, so as those who have been chosen of God, holy and beloved, put on a heart. We have this uh, given to us several times in um, the epistles to put off some things and to put on some things. Put on a heart of compassion, kindness. Put on humility. you got to choose it. Gentleness and patience. James 1 verse 21 says, Therefore, putting aside all filthiness and all that remains of wickedness, in humility receive the word implanted. Let it get inside of you. In humility, approach the word of God. So if there is a place where you and I are possibly in some kind of argument with the word of God as to what is appropriate, how many of you know God is always right? 
Come on, in the first service, they knew that. (laughs) But in humility, receive the word implanted. And the Bible says that there's something powerful that happens. It saves your soul. It saves your mind, your will, your emotions. There's something powerful. When not just you, you listen to messages or read your Bible, but you get the word implanted in you, some, peace gets in you, joy gets in you, love gets in you, blessing gets in you. 1 Peter 5, verse 5 says, You younger men likewise be subject to your elders. I liken that verse more and more. Every birthday that passes, I like that verse even better. Young men, be subject. (laughs) I love you guys. And all of you, clothe yourselves with humility toward one another. For God is opposed to the proud, but he gives grace to the humble. Therefore, humble yourselves under the mighty hand of God that he may exalt you at the proper time. The dance of true humility is to hold two sides of a coin in a a good tension. It is this recognition that you are valuable, you are loved, you are gifted, you are chosen, you are blessed, you are, you've got an assignment that your life is going to count for something. You are fearfully and wonderfully made. That is true. But also, you are not all that. Come on, you've been wanting to do this. Just turn and look at your neighbor and say, you are not. You are not all that. <laughs> you have to add to it. I just said to say, you're not all that. In the scheme of all things, cosmically, historically, Globally, universally, you and I got to have this realization that this whole world, God himself, the universe, your church, your family, your job, they don't all exist just to make you happy. A little bit of humility is actually not really embraced in our world, but it's a very healthy thing. Humility is, is not being down on yourself, but humility is a realization that I am a very small piece of a very big thing. Our planet is a dot in the universe. There are seven billion other people on this planet. The whole thing doesn't just revolve around making me happy. 
I think humility actually brings a kind of a relief, you know, because your world gets bigger when you get smaller. When you get appropriately small. The realization that I don't really deserve anything. And if I got what I deserved, I would not be in a good place because biblically what I deserve is the wrath of God. Biblically what I deserve is judgment. Anybody in this room never sinned? If you raise your hand, we know you're a liar. What I deserve is to to go to hell. So I think any time I get this posture of, you know, this this isn't fair. I don't deserve this. There's a pride involved in that that is so destructive because God is good, God is merciful, God wants to bless, but anything good in your life, my life, is a result of the goodness of God, and a realization of that puts you kind of in a place where you go, you know, I am blessed, I am favored, I am anointed, I, I, I do matter, but I'm also not all that. And when you can hold those two ideas in some kind of legit tension, I, I, think, I, think to, I think to ever reach a point where you go, this isn't fair. I don't think anybody really wants fair. So let me read a couple passages to you and, uh, and talk about this idea. Philippians uh, chapter 2, uh, it says this, verse 3, do nothing from selfishness or empty conceit, but with humility of mind, Let each of you regard one another as more important than himself. How many of you know that's easy to read and hard to live? Come on. Like when the the dishes are piling up in the sink and you're pretending you don't see them. And somehow you got the idea, well, I'm a man, I don't do that. (laughs) do not merely look out for your own personal interests but also for the interests of others have this attitude in yourselves which was also in Christ Jesus who although he existed in the form of God did not regard his equality with God a thing to be grasped but he emptied himself taking the form of a bondservant and being made in the likeness of men. And being found in appearance as a man, he humbled himself by becoming obedient to the point of death, even death on a cross. What what an incredible idea. Jesus is God. And he, he has all the rights and all the equality with God, and the Bible says he didn't regard his equality with God 
as a thing to be held on to. He didn't grasp his position. He didn't grasp his relationship with the Father as something to say, you should look up to me. But he, he gave himself away to a greater purpose, and he's God. He laid it all aside for a greater purpose. That's what humility does. Humility recognizes there's a purpose in life that's way bigger than my personal interest. It's not that my interest, the Bible says don't merely look out for your own interest. In other words, it's okay to take care of yourself because we need a healthy you. But it says get the same attitude that you find in Christ, that you put aside your position, you put aside your social status, you put aside your education, you put aside your financial status, you put aside all this stuff and say, I am going to be a small piece in a big cause. I'm I'm going to find myself in a mission and a cause and a purpose that's a whole lot bigger than just me being made happy. This is a major kingdom key. To, To find your life, the life you've always wanted, you have to lose your life in something greater than your life. Maybe we can use this as a saying for next year's birthday. Listen to this. To really find your life, the life you've always wanted, you have to lose your life in something greater than your life. That's what humility does. Jesus said this, Matthew 10, he who has found his life shall lose it. He who has lost his life for my sake shall find it. Matthew uh, 16, uh, verse 25, whoever wishes to save his life shall lose it. Whoever holds on to his own personal preference all the time, but whoever loses his life for my sake shall find it. And I'm saying that the, what Jesus teaches us, what Jesus models, what the, what the Bible is telling us, that the only way to really find your true life, the life you've always wanted, is to find something greater than you and then find yourself in it. You actually find the real you in the midst of something greater than you. You can't find your best life in the context of this little bitty world called your personal preference. I'm preaching this better than your amen in it. (laughs) 
To live a great life, you got to find a great purpose and give yourself to it. You got to find a great thing. And can I just say, you and I have this incredible privilege of being able to throw our life into the greatest cause that exists. The greatest mission, the greatest purpose. We get to give our lives to the advancement of the kingdom of God. We get to see people rescued. We get to see God glorified. There's nothing greater. Thank God we've got this opportunity to live a great life. You got to find a great purpose. You pour your life into a great purpose, then your life will be great. If we pour our life into just protecting our own personal interests, that's what pride does. We end up in trouble. A great life is given to great things. A small life is given to small things. John F. Kennedy, years ago, inspired our country with this idea, ask not what your country can do for you, but ask what you can do for your country. I think it's a great concept that we could use a little bit more of. Ask not what your church can do for you. Ask what you can do for your church. Come on. Takes a little bit of humility. (laughs) Ask not what your family can do for you. Ask what you can do for your family. Pride is so destructive. I have a friend that pastors, and he had a guy in his church that was uh, caught up in and just trapped in sexual addictions that were, just took over his life. Very successful guy. When it all finally came out, he was, he was sent off to a ministry in Colorado that helps guys deal with this kind of thing. He spent 10 months in this program, gave, was very successful, gave up a lot of income, lost businesses, lost homes, lost everything. 10 months he spent in this program, and he said never once did they ever talk about sex. Well, what they did talk about every day was your pride, because they said, it's your pride that says, I deserve this. And once you deal with your pride, the rest of it is taking, when you deal with the root, you deal with the fruit. And I think there's a lot of us, me, that when things don't go our way, when things don't go the way we want, when we think we deserve something, when we think we should have something, and this pride that says, hey, wait a minute. It can become a very destructive thing. I want to look at a, a passage where Jesus is actually putting into practice some of what we're talking about. Uh, John chapter 13 
Jesus is, this is the story where Jesus is washing the feet of his disciples, and uh, it starts here, verse 1, now before the feast of the Passover, Jesus, knowing that his hour had come, that he should depart out of this world to the Father, having loved his own who were in the world, he loved them to the end. I just, let me just make this comment, if I can. Jesus loved them to the end. Jesus was a finisher. <laughs> He loved them. A great, a great life knows how to finish. There's a lot of people who start, but if you start and don't finish, you don't win. So verse 2 says, And during supper, the devil, having already put it into the heart of Judas Iscariot, the son of Simon, to betray him, Jesus And look at this, what he knows, knowing that the father had given all things into his hands, knowing that he had come from God, knowing that he was going back to God. This is stuff that he's aware of. And this is this is what I want us to get. Jesus serves. Jesus chooses humility, not from I'm less than or I'm weak or I'm not valuable, the Bible says he actually knew some pretty powerful stuff. He, he knew what he had. All things were given into his hands. He, he knew where he'd, been, where he'd come from. He'd come from God. He knew where he was going. And let me just say, if, you, if you're confident in what you have, and then you know where you're coming from, and you know where you're going, you're in a pretty strong position. And the Bible says he took all of that and served with it. Because what I don't want us to misunderstand is this idea that somehow humility is this downgrading of yourself. It's not that. Humility is actually a recognition of how small I really am in the whole scheme of things. (laughs) Humility recognizes I'm just a small piece of a big thing. And that when I lose myself in the cause of Christ, when I lose myself in something greater than me, I'm not throwing myself away because I think I have no value. I'm thinking I have a lot of value. But this whole thing doesn't just focus in on me. Verse 4 says, then Jesus rose from supper. He laid aside his garments and taking a towel, he girded himself about. Then he poured water into the basin and he began to wash the disciples' feet and to wipe them with the towel with which he was girded. This is interesting to me. Jesus washed their feet with a towel he was wearing. Humility recognizes that you got to wear something before you can wash other people's feet with it. Humility recognizes maybe I don't know everything there is to know about being the president of the United States. And maybe my opinion is not that important. 
Humility recognizes that it probably helps to have a pretty good marriage before you start dispensing advice on marriage. You got to wear the towel first. Humility, Humility realizes that you don't know a thing about raising kids unless you've been raising kids. (laughs) If if you don't have kids, you don't get it. Because everybody's got these great theories about how to raise kids, but once you have them, they just don't line up. Put it this way, they don't come out humble. <laughs> Humility recognizes that it might be okay to get some success in managing your finances before you start dispensing your financial wisdom. Humility recognizes that it helps to have constructed something before you give your constructive criticism. I think it's amazing to me how some people who have never really done anything have tons of opinions. And they sit in their parents' basement <laughs> blogging their ideas about <laughs> About, about what's, what's wrong with the president, what's wrong with Joel Osteen, what's wrong with... It's like, you've never led a church that side. You have no idea. All you have is ideas. You haven't worn the towel yet. You don't even know what it's like. Constructive criticism becomes valuable if you've actually constructed something. Because I've found that the people who are in it have a whole different angle than the people who are standing outside judging it. And I think humility just says, you know what, maybe I have some ideas, but let's see if they actually work. I would say also, there are some things that God is going to take you through, put you through, so that you can wear a towel, so that when you talk... You know. There are seasons of pain that you walk through that put a tone in your voice that makes your words very different. It puts an angle, puts a a heart inside of you that causes you to see it different. And once you've worn the towel of pain, you got some words to say that bring life to people who have pain. 
And I'm not, I don't believe God is a giver of bad things, but I, I believe God uses bad things and brings us out of them. We have a story of victory to tell when it's all done. Amen. Okay. You guys are making me take too long. Say, this is 100 years of preaching right here, man. All right, verse 6. So he came to Simon Peter, and uh, he said to him, Lord, do you wash my feet? Jesus answered and said to him, what I do, you do not realize now, but you, sh- you shall understand hereafter. But Peter says, never shall you wash my feet. And Jesus answered him and said, if I don't wash you, you have no part with me. Simon Peter said, well, then, Lord, <laughs> give me a shower then. Lord, not my feet only, but also my hands and my head. And Jesus said to him, he who is bathed needs only to wash his feet. He's completely clean, and you're clean. Not all of you, and he's talking about Judas. And I just want to say, I think humility says, I understand that people pick up dust along the way. And if I'm their leader, if I'm their dad, if I'm their boss, if I'm, if, if I'm responsible, I'm not going to get aggravated with people. Uh, I'm going to just keep washing feet. Uh, I'm just going to keep weeding the garden. I wish it wouldn't need weeding, but it does. I'm going to keep tending to the flock. I'm going to keep declaring the vision. I'm going to keep raising the standard. I'm, I'm just going to keep saying it over and over and over again. Come on. Your kids are great. And sometimes you don't want to wash their feet. You want to get a fire hose, you know, and... Send them across the room in Jesus' name. Right? Yeah. Take that, you little ungrateful punk. But, but humility says, I was a kid once. I spilled my milk. I, I got attitudes. I'm just going to wash your feet. Let me just finish with this. John 13, 11. It says, for, for he knew the one who was betraying him. For this reason, he said, not all of you are clean. Talking about Judas. And so when he'd washed their feet and taken his garments, he reclined at the table again. He said, do you know what I have done to you? Next verse. You call me teacher and Lord, and you are right, for so I am. If I then, the Lord and the teacher, washed your feet, you also ought to wash one another's feet. For I gave you an example that you also should do as I did to you. Truly, truly, I say to you, a slave is not greater than his master, neither is one who is sent greater than the one who sent him. If you know these things, you are blessed if you actually do them. Jesus has given us the incredible model of He's understanding, I'm not worthless, I'm God. I know where I've come from. I know, what I, I know what the Father's given me. I know where I'm going. But I also know I am not everything. And there is a purpose. And I'm going to wash some feet. I'm going to humble myself. I'm going to choose that spot. I think it's a relief when you finally give up 
having to be all that. When you, do, when you give up having to prove how great you are, or prove that you're valuable. You are valuable. You don't have to prove it. You are. And when you just go, Lord, I'm just put my life into your hands. I'm not the center of the universe. I'm not the center of anything. I just play a piece in this. And you're going to find a bigger life, a better life, a greater life, the life you've always wanted when you do that. I, I want to pray. Would you bow your heads, please, and close your eyes? Father, we come before you today, and every one of us has the pull of pride in, in us, and we're just coming today to put on humility, to put on, to put on this mindset of knowing how much you love us, how much you're for us, but how small we really are. And I'm praying for every person in this room. I'm praying for marriages. I'm praying for families. I'm praying for work relationships. I'm praying for all of us, Lord, that we will see it. We'll see it clearly. We'll make the choice. With your head bowed still and your eyes closed, maybe you're here today and you, you've never actually just submitted your life to Jesus to let him be the Lord of your life. I would love to pray with you. Maybe you're here today and you used to be close to God, but you've drifted off or something's happened and now you're not where you want to be. You're not where you know you should be, you could be. And today is a day where you say, I really want to be sure I'm right with God. Maybe you feel unsure about where you stand with God, but I just want to pray with you today. I don't want anybody to walk out of this room without a strong sense that your life is in the hands of a God who loves you, a God who's for you. No one's looking around. You say, Pastor, I want to I, I submit to Christ. I, I want to give my life to him. I, I want to come back to him. I want to be sure I'm right with him. If that's you, I want you to raise your hand real high all over this room and just say, that's me. Would you pray for me? God bless you. Come on, anybody else that just says, just an honest, open heart says, I know I need God. I know I need my life in his hands. God bless you. Thank you. Anybody else who just says today is, today's my day. God bless you. Anybody else? I just want to wait a few seconds more. Come on, you know, more important than me praying for you is you just signaling to God, yes. Yes, Lord, I need you. Yes, Lord, I want you. I want us all to pray this, this prayer together. This is for everybody that lifted their hand, but I'd like for us all to say these words. Everybody say, Lord Jesus, I open my life to your love, to your Lordship. I need you, I want you in my world as my Lord. I know I've sinned. I come to the cross where you've paid the price for my forgiveness. Today is a fresh start, a new beginning as I give my life to you. Help me become the person you created me to be. Amen. Come on, let's thank the Lord together. Amen. Amen.